It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Am I excited about the 12th of December? Not particularly. The time for protest is over. It's time for leadership. And that is what this government provides. In every town and village in this country, Labour will be there giving a message of real hope where this government offers nothing. People have a very clear choice. If they want Brexit, they can vote for Labour or the Conservatives or the Brexit Party. And if they want to stop Brexit, they need to vote for the Liberal Democrats. And a very good afternoon. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. Good afternoon. I'm Anna Edwards. Anna, your first time on the show. I hope it you enjoyed is. it. It is. Thank you very much for having me, Roger. Delighted. We're going to take a little trot around the current state of the electoral proceedings, which, of course, have begun with Jeremy Corbyn launching the Labour Manifesto in Birmingham. Absolutely. And we've had some, uh, some, some, some things that were expected and well-trailed. In fact, a lot of it was pretty well-trailed, wasn't it? But some of the headline-grabbing stuff, uh, no doubt, around oil companies and a windfall tax on oil companies. Now, it's not so long ago we had a windfall tax on oil companies. The oil price was in a very different place at that point. That's true. And a lot of a lot of people are saying, well, it doesn't necessarily stack up financially, but Jeremy Corbyn very much saying that's the point. He wants to get out there. He wants to get these things there. And any anger, he says, or fury from the, the rich, the bankers and the rest of it simply underlines that. Well, let's have a little listen to what the Labour leader had to say. We will go after the tax dodgers, the bad bosses, the big polluters, so that everybody in our country gets a fair chance in life. That's why they throw everything they've got at us. So I accept that the opposition and hostility of the rich and powerful is inevitable. I accept the opposition of the billionaires, because we will make those at the top pay their fair share of tax to help fund the world-class public services for you. That's real change. Jeremy Corbyn there launching the Labour Manifesto. And just a couple of more details. He's proposed higher taxes for the top 5% of earners, tax on earnings over £80,000 a year. Uh, another tax rate on those earning more than £125,000 a year. 1% increase in the corporation tax rate from April and a windfall tax, as you said, on oil companies. Quoting the manifesto, whenever public money is invested in energy regeneration projects, the public sector will take a stake and return profits to the public. Mm. Well, let's chew over some of this with our guest for this part of the programme, Siobhan Benita, Lib Dem candidate and Shadow Cabinet member for London, who joins us now on the line. Siobhan, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Uh, first of all, uh, what did you think of what you heard from Jeremy Corbyn? Well, I think the overarching thing for me is, um, you know, this is a manifesto which is spend, spend, spend. Actually, it doesn't add up, as you're saying, there's already been criticism of that. We don't know whether the Labour Party is going to be a Remain party or a Leave party. So it's virtually impossible to know on what basis they are 
you know, doing their costings? Are they going to be in a situation where they're pushing for us to leave the European or not? That has a huge impact on um, the finances. So I just think a lot of this is fantasy. Well, it's interesting. I was very interested in the line he was taking around Brexit, uh, not obviously coming down on either side because we know what the Labour Party policy is. They'll put it back to the people uh, in in a referendum. He was talking about how Boris Johnson is going to hijack Brexit, bring us Thatcherism on steroids and sell out the NHS. From the polling, though, uh, Siobhan, isn't there a danger from your perspective that perhaps that pitch, which doesn't take a view on Brexit, perhaps that's doing better in the polling than yours? No, I don't think so at all. I mean, I think what people need at the moment, what people are calling out for at the moment is honesty and clarity on people's positions. The Lib Dem position is very clear. We would like to stop Brexit. We think that gives us then a £50 billion remain bonus that we can use to invest in public services, in in schools, in hospitals. And actually, under Jeremy Corbyn, as I'm saying, there is this fudge on Brexit. We don't know whether he will be going for a remain or a leave option. We do know that he will be dragging us towards months and years more of uncertainty and future negotiations. But it's virtually impossible to put forward then a credible manifesto because on what basis are these costs being put forward? All right. Well, Siobhan, let's let's have a look at perhaps the differences between yourselves and Jeremy Corbyn in terms of the finances. Now, what about this higher tax rate for top 5% earners and another tax rate on those earning more than £125,000 a year, so £80,000, £125,000? Do you agree with that? I mean, surely it's good to take from the people who have lots to give to those who have less. I think what you have to have is, is fair taxation. I mean, we, we've got in our manifesto, we have shown how we would be costing a lot of the um, spending commitments that we are making. What I think, you know, I, I remember growing up under old Labour and it was very much a sense of a dislike for people who are successful, a dislike for people who, who go on to be wealth creators and to employ people themselves. And actually, that seems to be the world that Jeremy Corbyn is moving back to. I don't think we should be sending that signal. I think, actually, if you are um, you know, a small or medium business owner and you are doing quite well and you are employing other people, we should be encouraging that. And that is definitely not the narrative Jeremy Corbyn is, is putting forward. Yeah, but you're, you're talking about a penny income tax rise on everybody, essentially. Uh, they're talking about directed tax to those who have most. Why, why is it that you want to have tax everybody, even the people who have least, in order to fund something which Jeremy Corbyn says, fine, we'll go for the billionaires, we'll go for the really rich people and get it from them? What's the problem? I just don't think that's a fair way going forward. And I think all of his narrative is very divisive. He's saying that he wants to be the party that is there to bring the country together. The entire rhetoric of the Labour Party is about division. It's about creating an us and them. You know, we are there for, I think what he's saying, not for the few, we're there for the many. Well, actually, if you want to be prime minister, you have to be there for everybody. You have to be bringing all of the country together. And that includes people on all income levels. Talking- so I just, I don't, I just do, do not like the rhetoric that he is putting forward. I think it's going to create more tension and more division. And actually what we have seen in the past is those kind of taxes that he is proposing, they do not work. You will, just get, you will find people who find ways of getting around the, the, the taxes that mm. he is proposing. So it won't actually generate 
a lot of the um, income that he's saying. And I was, I did see Siobhan, the IFS was suggesting that it will depend very much on the extent to which those who are caught by these taxes decide to actually reduce their tax glim- yeah, ta- uh, taxable income as, a, as an impact. But that's, I mean, that's the view of the IFS. Let me ask you yeah, about your tactics. Big, can I just Let say me- the biggest thing, the biggest thing, though, regardless of all of that, is this is just fantasy. I mean, it should just come with, you know, a unicorn for every single person in the country because it is... We do not know what the Labour Party is going to do when it comes to Brexit. So none of this stuff is credible. Well, let me ask you about Brexit then, because you, what about standing down in certain constituencies where there are very specific types of Labour MPs uh, so as to uh, improve the chances of getting a majority for another referendum? This is something that the People's Vote has called on you to do about a week ago, and I know that this has been topical in Canterbury and some places, some other places. And, and yet your party is not keen to engage on that. We, we've stood down, as you know, we've done the alliance with the Greens, we've done the alliance with Clyde, and we've stood down for some of the um, previously Conservative candidates who are now running as independents because they will be genuinely remain candidates in a future parliament. When it comes to Labour-facing seats, I'm sorry, but the Labour MPs who are remain MPs, they've had three years to change their party line to change the leadership line so that it's clearly a Remain party, and they have failed to do that. By getting those MPs into Parliament, we would not be guaranteeing a future Remain Parliament. The Labour Party is not a Remain party, and that is clearly the message that we are putting forward, and we will be fighting as hard as we possibly can to make sure that in future we can influence Parliament so that Boris Johnson doesn't have the majority that he wants so that he can crash us out recklessly. Yeah, but at the same time, you're going, if you're competing in those seats, you're going to split the vote three ways, and there's at least two-thirds of the chance that you won't get what, what you actually want. Isn't it better to take uh, take a flyer, perhaps, on Labour, at least having a closer attitude towards Brexit than your party, simply in order to make sure that a Conservative doesn't get in? No, I'm sorry, but the, the, the seats that we are fighting mainly are the Conservative-facing seats, where we know that we have a real chance of winning those seats, Listen, we didn't You're have fighting in lots of Labour marginals as well. I mean, you, you haven't stood down there. Where, where we know that we can clearly win, we are targeting those seats. We haven't had so many um, previously Labour voters, Labour MPs, coming to join us now so that we stand down to give Jeremy Corbyn a better chance in future. We're not going to do that. That party is under investigation for anti-Semitism. Jeremy Corbyn is not fit to be Prime Minister. We are not going to stand down to allow that party a bigger choice, a bigger, uh, you know, maximise their chances Mm. in this election. We're just not going to do that. Are you concerned about Joe Swinson's popularity, her individual popularity with voters? Because there does seem to be some polling that suggests that she's not proving as popular on the doorstep as as you might have hoped. Siobhan, what's, what's the response you're getting? Do you ever get negative or lack of knowledge responses? Um, negative, no. Uh, I've had lots of warmth about Joe on the doorstep, which is hardly surprising given what the uh, other two options are. You know, if you if you put Joe alongside Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn, I think it's quite clear that she is the future for this country and provides a much more hopeful, much more optimistic choice uh, than the other two. Lack of knowledge, yes, unfortunately, absolutely, and that's because she's not being given the same platform. But that's almost the catastrophic fact- for you, Siobhan. 44% is a figure I've seen who couldn't pick out Joe Swinson or know on earth who she is. 
And that's exactly why we are plugging away the way we're doing. We are putting Joe forward at every single possibility. You know, we took ITV and we will do the same with BBC. We have taken them to court. We've taken them as far as possible to make sure that she got the same platform as the other two. The system is stacked against her in that respect, unfortunately. And we will keep trying to change that. But once people see Joe, once people, they hear our message, they're incredibly positive about that. And that's exactly what I'm finding on the doorstep across the capital. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common... It's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. We're going to have a quick look through uh, some of the pieces that are in the newspapers today in the sort of middle pages, the opinion area. Let me start off with a piece in the Daily Mail. Now, you may recall, of course, there was a bit of a to-do about a Twitter account belonging to the Conservative Party, which changed its name to a fact-checker. I think you remember that. Got itself in trouble with Twitter. It certainly did uh, during the uh, debate and uh, claimed or appeared to claim to be checking facts rather than putting out pieces from the Conservative Party. Anyway, Daily Mail, Stephen Glover is saying, no, no, this is all nonsense. Uh, he says, our new TV, our TV news obsesses over a niche Tory Twitter row while Jeremy Corn- Corbyn's serial lies go unchallenged. Yesterday morning, as the nation was digesting that fractious leadership TV debate, we woke to be told the Conservatives have been guilty of a heinous political crime. Is it too much to ask that the BBC, he says, and other powerful broadcasters might put some of this more, his more outlandish claims, the claims of Jeremy Corbyn, under the microscope, rather than obsessing about some peripheral Twitter account? I realise broadcasters Broadcasters are supposed to retain their impartiality, but why is it impartial to allow Corbyn and his henchmen to repeat obvious untruths unchallenged? That seems, he says, the very opposite of impartiality. Well, I'm all for fact-checking. I think fact-checking is wonderful. Um, I'm working for an institution, a, a business that's uh, that's sort of built on facts. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of that. I just, uh, I'm not sure why you would, I mean, if, if the Conservative Party wants to fact-check Jeremy Corbyn or give their thoughts on Jeremy Corbyn, they can do that. Fully labelled as the Conservative Party, can't they? They certainly can. Let's dive into another story then, Roger. We've got uh, a story in the mirror. I'm the dad who confronted Boris Johnson. His NHS spin is just to get votes. So says Omar Salem. And Omar Salem, if you're not familiar with the name, is the parent who confronted Boris Johnson whilst he was doing a tour of a hospital, Whips Cross Hospital in London. And today he's writing this piece in the mirror. He reflects on on the Tories' decision to make the 2019 general election campaign all about the NHS, of course, after they've uh, delivered Brexit, which is the other line we get from them and spent money on the police but these three things he talks about often and uh, the the writer of this piece says although Boris Johnson has only been in power for a few weeks as an MP Mayor of London Cabinet Minister over the past decade he supported the austerity policies that have brought the NHS to to its knees so he writes that he couldn't allow Boris Johnson to walk past without challenging him on this but it is interesting isn't it uh, Roger where you know from a a, a, a punditry perspective everybody thought this was going to be all about Brexit and 
Brexit does still loom very large over December 12th, but it is about other things. And even some of the polling about what matters to people shows that the NHS is important. Well, our very own Therese Raphael has a piece in Bloomberg Opinion today. Boris Johnson is getting a free pass on Brexit. So she's saying, actually, we're kind of ignoring it in a way. At least we're ignoring his deal. She says this is the Brexit election, but Johnson's deal is the one subject nobody wants to talk about. Corbyn knows, she says, that he must hold on to leave voting seats in working class areas. Joe Swinson's centrist Liberal Democrats are so busy trying to familiarise voters with their new leader that they don't do anything else. And Johnson, she says, is getting a free ride. If he wins this election, his deal will sail through Parliament with minimal serious scrutiny. No wonder he was so keen for the fog of an election battle to descend. And you can find that story on your Bloomberg terminal. Well, serious scrutiny is is what we kind of specialise in, isn't it, Roger? So let's do that now. Samuel Toombs, Chief UK Economist at Pantheon Macroeconomics joins us. Samuel, very good to see you here on Bloomberg uh, Westminster. Let me ask you about uh, Boris Johnson's deal and what the effects would be on the economy. And I do this because we were just hearing there in uh, the piece Roger was referencing, there hasn't been an enormous amount of scrutiny of it. And in fact, the government hasn't published their own analysis on what it would do to the economy. So what is your base case if we see Boris Johnson winning on December 12th? What is the base case of what his Brexit deal does to the UK economy? In the very short term, businesses will greet the passing of a withdrawal agreement with some relief. I think we'll see both household and business confidence recover for a couple of months. But very quickly, we'll approach the point where you know the transition period is only a year long. December 2020 is the point at which we're supposedly going to be signing up to a new trade deal. And the attention really will focus on the, the substance of that deal. And for many businesses, you know that will impose extra costs, extra frictions in terms of trade with the EU if it's ready to be in place by December 2020. And there will always still be the risk as well during that transition period that we might actually have to leave on WTO terms if a deal just isn't agreed. And for instance, the arithmetic in Parliament aren't there to support a further extension. Now, Samuel, let me pick up on what's been happening today, which is the launch of the Labour manifesto. We've had a Liberal Democrat manifesto, and we've got an inkling of what might be in the Conservative one. But let's pick up on the Labour one, because we have got some detail of that. Higher taxes for the top 5% of earners. Uh, if you're over £80,000, one particular tranche. If you're over £125,000, another tranche going up. And also corporation tax rising in increments to 21% in 2020, 24% in 2021, 26% in 2022. Now, given what they've said they're going to spend the money on, have they said really, do you think that they've got enough of taking the money in? Is that going to work? Do the sums add up? Well, um, the the boldest part of Labour's uh, fiscal plans overall is in terms of infrastructure spending. Broadly, they intend to run a current uh, budget balance. So higher taxes will be going towards funding day-to-day public expenditure. And the Conservatives have committed to uh, uh, the same uh, 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 budget rule there as well. So we'll certainly see big differences in terms of the reallocation of spending. But really, overall, the package will be sort of fiscally neutral if you just look at the current budgets. Really, it's when you look at the investment numbers that you're, you're seeing scope for quite a big fiscal boost to come through. A lot of borrowing. Uh, f- financed by borrowing. So um, under the Conservatives, they've they've announced that they'll have a 3% of GDP limit on government investment. Currently, it's running around 2%. So we can see a 1% of GDP uplift to the economy from the Conservatives ratcheting up investment. Labour are being even bolder. Their plans suggest that they could see investment up to the 4% of GDP mark uh, by the end of a parliament. So a near 2% boost to the economy filtering through over a, a five-year period. So um, whilst both of them have you know pretty similar overall f- fiscal plans 
plans for the, the current budget deficit and uh, plan to balance that over a rolling period. It's really an investment that we're going to see the economy start to get mm. some boost coming through. And it's not hard to see why you might be tempted as a government or an opposition to invest for the future at a time when gilt yields are just, what, 0.74%. But what kind of level of borrowing do we think gilt markets can tolerate? What should assumptions be for the, the, the borrowing costs that these governments are going to have to face into the future as the level of borrowing ratchets higher? Yeah, so there is a risk that with, um, with under both governments we'll see a pickup in gilt issuance come through. I mean, this isn't news to the markets. So they're already, you know, this is largely priced in that we're going to see a pickup in government spending and investment over the next few years. And you know, currently the gilt yields suggest that you know demand is well in excess of the supply of gilts on offer at the moment. So I think we can see the government ratcheting, ratcheting up its investment plans, and for the markets not to be too spooked by that. Um, ultimately, you know, this is hopefully going to be paying back a you know a dividend for the economy as well, which um, you know widely will be welcomed by businesses. Now, I'm interested in where sterling has gone all this because we've seen it going up and down in all sorts of little ways, and I mean within a certain range actually, it hasn't been a huge difference, but clearly based on whether or not uh, the people that out there think in some ways there's going to be a Tory working majority enough, for example, to put the Brexit deal through, and perhaps also their fears potentially of a Corbyn government. So, just give us your reading of how that works. Mm-hmm. Well, we have seen a big movement in the panda the last couple of weeks. It's been hovering just below 130 against the US dollar. And that really reflects the fact that public opinion actually hasn't shifted that much. The Conservatives have made maintained a steady 12 percentage point lead over Labour. That should be enough for a, a Conservative outright majority of around 50. That you can't always trust the polls? No, absolutely. And I think there are some factors out there suggesting that the Conservatives poll lead might narrow over the last few weeks when, when don't knows finally make up their mind. So currently we see about 15 to 20 percent of people in opinion polls say that they're undecided, they don't know how they're going to vote. Those Mm. people usually make up their minds in the last two weeks of the campaign. And if you look at the backgrounds of how those people voted in the 2017 general election, disproportionately they're coming from Labour or Liberal Democrat backgrounds. So I suggest that when they finally do make up their minds, we'll start to see Labour support rise a little bit in the final weeks of the campaign, in which case the Conservatives' majority could be coming back to sort of maybe 20 to 30 sort of level, which I think could actually be negative for Sterling um, over the course of the next six months because that really does give leverage to the the hard ultra Brexiteers within the Conservative Party. All of the all of the thirty Conservative MPs who tried to block Theresa May's deal in uh, earlier this year because they wanted a No Deal Brexit, they've all stood for re-election. They're all well, nearly all of them are in safe seats. Yeah. They all hold leverage going into the next parliamentary term, and the key problem for markets could be that the transition period may not be extended if they have a lot of leverage. And we all know that, yes, and we, and we all know that all of those Conservative MPs that are standing this time, old or new, have all said that they will back Boris Johnson on his deal. It's interesting that you've said recently, uh, Samuel, that the size of the Tory majority really matters for Sterling's uh, medium-term path. And I'm interested to know why that is, because I was listening to um, a, a analysis recently around how actually maybe this could be a binary choice that either Boris Johnson gets a majority and therefore, because all Tories have agreed to vote for it, it passes or there is no majority and then there is a path open to a second referendum. And so why does the size of the majority matter so much? So I think regardless of um, the size of the Conservatives majority, we'll get the withdrawal agreement bill through Parliament by the end of January. They've all signed up to it. So as long as there's a majority, it should go through. The key problem for markets as we go into 2020 will be the nature of the trade deal that's still to be negotiated and whether, in fact, at the end of the transition period, there will be a deal in place at all. Um, I'd suggest that with a small Conservative majority, there will still be a risk effectively of a no-deal Brexit at the end of 2020 because a trade deal will be much harder for Boris Johnson to negotiate if he has 
you know, the, if the parliamentary arithmetic really are constraining. So him. a year from now, it could still be that we're looking down the barrel of a of a no deal Brexit potentially. Uh, that's right. And in fact, in the withdrawal agreement bill, it specifically states that uh, any decision to extend the transition period for up to two years has to be taken by July the 1st. So actually, markets focal point next could well be that July date. And in fact, there won't be much relief for Sterling if there is quite a small Conservative majority, because there'll be a lot of concern that the no deal Brexiteers within the Tory party will be very happy just to run down the clock and not agree to an extension. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.